Looking for practical information to help you make decisions about your diagnosis, whether DCIS, early or metastatic breast cancer? BCNA's My Journey features articles, webcasts, videos and podcasts about breast cancer during treatment and beyond to help you, your friends and family as you progress through your journey. It also features a symptom tracker to help you manage the changing symptoms you may encounter during your own breast cancer experience. My Journey. Download the app or sign up online at myjourney.org.au. Let's be upfront about families with a history of breast cancer. It can be a catalyst for vigilance and early detection, but it can also cause anxiety, sometimes unnecessarily. Genetic testing is available, though it can lead to more questions than answers. A negative result doesn't mean you won't develop breast cancer, and for around 5% of Australians who do carry a faulty gene, there is much to consider. Should you undergo preventative surgery or wait? And what about your children? If and when should they be tested? These are just a few of the decisions that Sam DeChico and her family had to make. She joins us today, as does Associate Professor Yoland Antle, who is a medical oncologist and cancer genetic specialist. A reminder that Upfront is an unscripted conversation and it's not intended to replace medical advice, nor does it represent the full spectrum of experience or clinical opinion. We urge our listeners to exercise self-care as the content may be triggering or upsetting for some. Welcome to you, Sam and Yolan. Yolan, what is meant by a family history of breast cancer? So that's a fantastic opening question because um, it can mean different things for different families. So a family history can mean uh, my grandmother developed breast cancer in her 70s or it can mean something as different as my mum developed breast cancer in her 40s, my sister's just developed breast cancer in her 30s. So um, the interpretation of a family history of breast cancer is already very diverse, depending on how many people in your family are affected by breast cancer, how old they were when they developed breast cancer, and sometimes even your ethnic background, your, your, where your family originates from can influence those, um, the interpretation of a family history of breast cancer. So there seems like a, a lot of variables. How do we know which ones count and when to actually start investigating the possible impact and relevance of a breast cancer history, family history, a genetic link? So the clues that we look for most commonly would be multiple generations affected by breast cancer, breast cancer and ovarian cancer in your family, breast cancer occurring in both breasts in one woman, breast and ovarian cancer occurring in the same person, male breast cancer and particularly male breast cancer coupled with some of those other risk factors and breast cancer and or ovarian cancer occurring at younger ages so particularly in the decades in the 30s and in the 40s. Additionally people of Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry 
have an increased risk for familial breast cancer based on the fact that some of the breast cancer genes are seen more commonly to have an error in their ethnic groups than some other ethnic groups. So Sam, tell us briefly, how large is your family tree when it comes to breast cancer? Yes, well, it certainly is a tree, uh, quite a large tree. Uh, So I'm third generation and all quite young. So it uh, is, I have, um, looking at breast cancer itself, I've got uh, great-grandmother, grandmother, and then it sort of, it skipped my mum in a diagnosis, but she's BRCA carrier, which we're obviously going to talk about. Um, I was diagnosed at 37 and uh, now we sort of have, it stems from that. So I have aunts, great aunts, cousins, second cousins. Yolan, that's quite a history, isn't it? Sam touched on uh, the BRCA gene. What are the most common inherited gene mutations associated with breast cancer? So Sam's family is typical of a high-risk breast cancer family and BRCA1 and BRCA2 are the most common of the high-risk genes. So her family represents one that has a number of alarm bells that would raise the likelihood of there being an underlying change in one of those two genes as a cause for that history of breast cancer in that family. And indeed, Sam um, alluded to the fact that there has been a genetic test with a change found in the BRCA gene to explain some, if not all, the cancers in her family. So only 5% of Australians actually have what we call uh, a faulty gene. Is that correct? Approximately, that's correct. Unless you're tested for the BRCA gene or for a uh, breast cancer gene, is there any other way of knowing? Whether you have the actual muta- an actual mutation? Correct. Um, that's correct. Um, so we would never assume that a family has the presence of a genetic change Um, otherwise known as a mutation or what we now refer to as a pathogenic variant, unless a genetic test has been done and that testing confirmed the presence of that um, genetic change. But there can be family histories where there are a large number of family members who have histories of breast cancers, they've had gene testing and still no genetic change is identified. Okay, so if you do have uh, a genetic mutation, is it guaranteed that you will pass that on to your children? No. So for all of the breast cancer genes that we routinely would test for, which includes the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes, but also other breast cancer-associated genes... You have two copies of every gene that you have, but it takes only a fault in one of the copies of the genes for the risk of breast cancer and this concept of hereditary breast cancer risk to be present. So when you conceive 
your each of your children, you can only pass one of the copies of the gene that you have. So if, for example, we think that in Sam's family there is an error in the BRCA gene, when an individual, so when Sam's mum conceived each of her children, she has two copies of that gene, one that has the fault in it and the other that is perfectly normal. So with each conception, she can only pass one of the copies of the gene onto her child and the other copy comes from that child's father. So there is a one in two or a 50% chance at each conception that that genetic change would be passed on to that child. So, Sam, as someone who has the gene, as you have already discovered, that must be a fairly heavy weight to carry as not only as an individual but as a family, uh, knowing that you might pass on that that gene to your children. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Kelly, With uh, when my mum uh, decided to... Uh, go ahead and uh, get herself tested. So she had to have, uh, I, I believe, uh, someone to compare it to in the family, which was a maternal cousin, uh, which was positive. She was found to be positive and then told that, like uh, Yolan just said, we would, uh, my sister and myself would have 50% chance of uh, also inheriting uh, the BRCA1 gene. Uh, which obviously I did and also my sister did. Um, at the time, I remember my mum really quite upset about it and in my eyes, I was um, a mum, but I was also thinking, well, you know, I don't know why you're so upset. You could have given me any gene. You know, I could have had, I don't know, brown hair, blonde hair. Like that's the that was just kind of the way I felt. I didn't harbour any any thoughts of like why me or how could you do that to me it was just uh, it wasn't a thing but it wasn't until I uh until my eldest daughter um had her testing done and was uh found positive as well that I really could relate to that so it is a feeling of um oh you know kind of disappointment clearly and, oh, you know, your 50-50 chance, what have I done wrong to sort of pass the wrong gene on? Uh, but, you know, I think that we're, that's where families sort of pick each other up a bit, bit and tell each other that it's fine and, and it is. It, it could have been anything else. So I think in, a, in our family we've done quite well with, uh, with having each other's backs and, and really being supportive to each other. Do you find that the knowledge of knowing you had the gene was power? When you found out that you did carry the faulty gene, you decided to not take any immediate action. You decided to just wait and see what happened. And then you actually did uh, develop triple negative breast cancer. Yeah, looking back, I feel like... um I feel like I didn't have fear as such. It was more anticipation and probably even thinking about it, a little bit of uh, naivety and thinking that probably wouldn't be me. Like, I, um, you know, it won't happen to me. I think that was really my mindset for a long time. Um, and my surgeon was happy with uh, my decision to just consider uh, just monitoring and I was, I was quite vigil with that too. Um, so we were really good at uh, doing everything 
probably a little bit earlier than it was meant to be and a little bit uh, more regularly than than the general population. Uh, so I guess, you know, looking back, I think I've, I did the right decision for me. That's not necessarily to say that it's the right decision for everybody. Yoland, we've just spoken about the fact that there's a 50% chance of the gene being passed on. If, in fact, you do have the gene mutation, what are your chances of actually developing breast cancer? So the figures that we quote are a range of figures. I think it's important to remember that not everybody who is born with a change in their BRCA gene or any other breast cancer gene is associated with 100% risk of cancer development. And Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your mum has not had a cancer history. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. So perfect example. And we don't yet know why some individuals do develop cancer, why some individuals would develop more than one primary cancer and why some develop no cancers. But... With BRCA1 and BRCA2, the risk can be as high as around 70% chance of developing a breast cancer during that individual's lifetime. We think that um, there is likely to be other genetic influences in why individuals may develop in, in association with their BRCA change. Um, why they might develop breast cancer. Lifestyle factors may have influence, but probably only a small influence. Um, It's something that uh, genetic teams around the world are trying to to work on to to try and understand how we might manipulate that that figure to to reduce those risks. And 70% is extremely high really sam you didn't take proactive uh treatment so to speak or didn't uh, elect to have a mastectomy but when it came to your daughters you had the genetic testing for your elder daughter and what was the decision making process behind that uh well i think Uh, It was really the fact that at the time of my diagnosis, my eldest daughter was 15, so she really saw firsthand um, what I went through. So she'd already sort of made up in her own mind that she was going to get tested and and I'm not sure at the moment, but at that stage, uh, the age was 16 in South Australia when you could start the process of counselling before testing and then counselling with your uh, result. And so she went through that um, with with an open mind. So she was ready for whatever that was going to give or throw at her. And once she got the, uh, the test result back as a positive, then it was kind of a no-brainer for her. She wanted to go ahead as soon as she could and um, have a prophylactic mis- bilateral mastectomy, which clearly at that age wasn't <laughs> never going to be an option. Um, 
so she sort of uh, went through the uh, process of the age and and getting all the different uh, I guess she went to probably three or four different surgeons that she felt more comfortable with and that led her to be uh, around 25 uh, when she had it done which is it's radical surgery there's no way we can escape that Yoland what is the recommendation? Is there a recommendation for those that do have the, the mutation and want to take decisive and preventative action? Will it actually completely prevent them from getting breast cancer? So someone is found to carry a uh, pathogenic variant in the BRCA gene, so a genetic mutation, um, are all given... Uh, they all have a discussion or, in fact, often more than one discussion about managing their cancer risk um, over their lifetime. So what's right for an individual at one age might not be right for them at another age. We also know, in fact, some of my own research um, done in Australia would suggest that what an individual does to manage their cancer risks is influenced by what's what they've experienced in their family. So for Sam, whose mum had never had a cancer but carried that genetic change, was very different from her daughter whose mother had had a breast cancer. Mm. So we know that the more cancer that occurs in a family, the more likely an individual is to take up those more, as you put it, radical approaches to lowering their cancer risks by undergoing something like a surgical procedure to reduce their cancer risks. So in other words, removal of breast tissue or what's known as a mastectomy or preventative mastectomy is something that um, a small percentage of people will undertake, and particularly at a very young age where they haven't had children themselves. So it's with fair to say, sorry, it's fair to say that the management of ovarian cancer risk and the recommendations around ovarian cancer risk, the discussions are very different. And that is because most breast cancers are still diagnosed at an early stage, whereas the ovarian cancers that are associated with the BRCA genes are almost always at an advanced stage of diagnosis. And so the likelihood of being cured from your cancer is much less with ovarian cancer in the setting of a BRCA gene change than it would be for breast cancer diagnosis. Okay, so you mentioned the discussion that is had when someone is found to have a genetic family history. How important is that discussion? It's not obviously just a case of getting your positive result and then making a decision. What's the importance of having a discussion about an action plan? It's so important and it has to be individualised. What's right for one person is not right for another person. And so the discussions really need to be tailored around the person at the stage of their life, what experiences they have had in relation to the genetic change, 
um, in their family but also during their lifetime. Um, so the discussions are very tailored and sometimes it is also tailored according to um, how much a patient wants to hear at any one time. So someone, for someone just hearing that they have the genetic change is enough in one consultation and they might come back for a second consultation to hear some more information, whereas for another person, it's been something present in their family for such a long time so that they're already, their knowledge around the impacts of that genetic change is so much further ahead than, for example, another person where the genetic change has come out of, a blue, out of the blue. Sam, that was certainly your case with having two daughters, one who was very aware when you had your uh, breast cancer treatment, but your youngest daughter was possibly quite oblivious to it all and you've had two very different reactions from them in relation to what they want to do about their own situation. What is that? Yes, well, my youngest daughter uh, was only, uh, well, when at the height of my diagnosis and treatments was four or five. Uh, So she uh, didn't see or couldn't understand all what was going on and and memory, you know, isn't isn't amazing either. But she also has just decided that she wants to be tested, which is great. It was a very natural progression really. It was just the fact that it is always spoken about in our family, Um, you know, we don't, not talk about things. We talk about exactly where all our history and, you know, where our uh, genetic history is. So she wanted to have the testing done. She's done that. Uh, sorry, she's done the counselling towards that. So her her results will be next. Um, but she's decided that uh, at 18 she's quite happy uh, with monitoring, surveillance and uh, probably just going down the track that I did at this stage Um I can probably say her dad's not wrapped about it. Her dad uh, is is sort of more uh, wants to, you know, if, I think he's more knowledge is power and get them off and it's, you know, then we don't have to think about it anymore. But clearly that age is is relevant. And, and from a male perspective, it's very different, the emotions. Um, there's a lot that is involved in wanting to make that decision of having um, a preventative mastectomy. I mean, I had no choice. I had, I had it done for... For different reasons but I think making that choice yourself to want it to do that there's so it impacts so many other things and I know that my daughter my eldest daughter Emma at this at this stage also can now understand that you know it's not just an easy fix that comes with a lot of other implications um you know with the surgery and the recovery and the on the, and the lasting effect of that as well um so I think Tyler's ready to um, know, understand, have her choice in front of her, but at this stage she will definitely just be going down the surveillance path. And how do you feel about that as parents? Because your natural reaction must be to want to protect and uh, avoid any cancer diagnosis if you can. Is it hard to not try and influence the decision? Uh, I, I'm okay, as in uh, I did the same with Emma. I would, I'd never influenced her decision. She was always, she's very strong-willed and was always going to do it. Um, 
I was probably more of the other side, you know, oh, do you understand this? Do you understand that? You know, it's not all going to be – basically it's not going to be you're going to go into hospital and come out with a great set of boobs at the end. You know, it's not as as easy as that. Um, and I think the same with Tyler. I'm, you know, I'm happy for her to have she's – got, she's got time on her side. You know, she's 18. So I'm not – sort of too stressed about that yet I think she'll probably um you know and, and and once again we don't have test results so that could still be that could be a um a moot argument really in the end uh but I think she'll she'll make the right decision for her when the time comes BCNA's helpline provides a free confidential phone and email service for people diagnosed with breast cancer BCNA's experienced team will help with your questions and concerns and provide relevant resources and services. Call 1800 500 258 or email contact at bcna.org.au. Yoland, if Sam's youngest daughter gets her results and she doesn't carry the gene mutation, is that the end of it? Can it skip a generation and then come back or...? No, if she doesn't carry, if she's not found to carry that genetic change at the time of her genetic testing, then the family does a little jiggy dance and (laughs) celebrates because that's it. Because she only inherited the good copy of the gene from Sam and because um, her dad is unlikely to carry a genetic change because these are, are uncommon, Um, we would anticipate that then her risk of breast cancer would go back to to the general population risk. And because she was not born with that genetic change, she can't pass it on. And Sam, am I not wrong? You would do a jiggy dance? I would do. I'd do a little jiggy dance, but also I'd be that mum that would be a little bit torn because I've got one and I've got one. Do you know what I mean? I'll I'll have Emma who... You know, I, and I know what she's like, so I, so I would have no problems in thinking that she would never be like, oh, thanks very much. Um, but yeah, it would be it would be very bittersweet. Of course, I'd be over the moon, but it would be yeah, a little bit bittersweet. And Yoland, given that Sam does have a daughter who who did have the mastectomy, does that mean she has no risk of developing breast cancer, or is it just lower? It's much lower. It's much lower even than the general population risk. So in good breast surgeon hands, um, the removal of breast tissue with mastectomy uh, leads to a less than 3% lifetime risk of breast cancer development. So it doesn't go down to zero. Um, The general population's risk, just to remind our audience, is 14% percent lifetime risk so one in seven women in Australia will develop breast cancer but her risks following bilateral mastectomy in good breast surgeon hands not a general surgeon a breast surgeon's hands you would expect that her risk of breast cancer would drop down to three percent so it doesn't drop to zero because the breast is not like a kidney or a liver, if you take a kidney out, it's all gone. If you take a liver out, it's all gone. It doesn't pop out a breast. 
breast tissue extends up into that armpit area. It extends into the um, midline of the chest. And so um, it's, it's not as easy as people might imagine to remove all breast tissue. If you were to develop breast cancer, someone who has the gene mutation, is it likely to be the same type of breast cancer as those in your family or is it, it could it be any number of breast cancers? Is the nature of it different? So that's a great question and it depends on the gene that you have in your family. So for BRCA1, 80% of the breast cancers that we see in, the, in, in association with BRCA1 tend to be the type of breast cancer that Sam experienced, what we know as non-hormonal and non-HER2, in other words, a triple negative breast cancer. But for the other breast cancer genes, no, there's quite a range. And what one individual experiences in their, in their lifetime is not necessarily the same type of breast cancer that someone else in their family, even though they carry that same genetic change, they may have a very different sort of breast cancer. Okay. And is that the same with the age of diagnosis? If a family member developed it early, are you, is that likely to be mirrored in the next generation or not? Uh, so again, it, it varies a little and this is something that we're still working on in as researchers. But certainly if there is very young onset cancers in a family, then the recommendations for managing that cancer risk might be tailored to reflect that earlier onset of cancer. Okay, so when is risk reduction surgery advised? So it's never advised, it's an option that individuals can take up. Okay. Sam, what led you, well, you didn't have a decision, you had a triple negative. I think your mum actually had some preventative surgery. Was that correct? She did. She had a uh, bilateral mastectomy and reconstruction in 1982, so quite um, a while ago. And considering the difference between my mum and my daughter's surgery was um, chalk and cheese, really. Quite, uh, quite barbaric almost back in, in the early 80s, the way they do uh, did the uh, reconstruction. Clearly, you know, they weren't as adept at wanting to have a cosmetic finish. I think it was more about, uh, you know, wanting to get the breast tissue out and that was it. Yes. Yoland, it must be quite common for people to say, oh, my aunt did this or my friend did that. It's important to note that, Things are always changing and information is always being updated and it's really important to have a discussion relevant for your time, not what someone did 20 years ago or even five years ago, I would imagine. Absolutely. And um, plastic surgical techniques in terms of reconstructing the breast shape um, and I would emphasise it's just reconstructing a shape. It's not actually reconstructing a functional breast. So a woman would not be able to breastfeed after she's had a mastectomy. 
um, and the sensation in the breast is completely altered. Um, even if a woman elects to retain her nipple, so she has what's known as a nipple-sparing mastectomy, the sensation in the nipple, the function of the nipple is still very different than um, than prior to that surgery. But surgical techniques are changing all the time. The other thing that will influence the choice of a reconstruction of a breast shape would also be the individual's um size so um, if someone is very thin um, then there might not be an option for a, a a donor site from their own body what's known as a tissue reconstruction it would be fair to say that someone undergoing a mastectomy and reconstruction at a very young age um, would be less likely to have a tissue reconstruction. They'd be more likely to have a um, an implant reconstruction. Hmm. Sam, what might you share with others who have a strong family history of breast cancer? What, what's the takeaway for you? It, it has really weighed through three generations and has been a very big part of your life. What's been the overall impact? Look, I think you said, uh, you hit on it before, Kelly, when you said about knowledge being power. I think looking back, I've definitely learned that throughout all of, you know, this, um, it comes down, really comes down to a personal choice. Um, you have to do what feels right for you, your situation. I know talking to a range of people certainly helped me, including, you know, a trusted health professional, of course, um, family members and even other people that have been through it. It's, you know, it's great to get different, um, different, I guess, scenarios of what they've been through to, to put it all together and, and just do what feels right for you. But the testing part's easy. It, you know, actually being tested is easy. It's what you choose to do with the results that can be the hard part. Yoland, what would you recommend people do and at what point if they have concerns about a family history of breast cancer? So there's um, a lot of information about for people to, to get some more information about the relevance of their family history. Um, they could talk to their general practitioner. There's some great information um, available through BCNA to understand what a high-risk family or a moderate-risk family might look like. Um, there are some tools online that you can access to put your own family history into a, um, a computer modelling program that might give you that first heads up. But importantly, all roads lead to what are known as family cancer centres, and they are groups of genetic counsellors, uh, genetic cancer specialists, uh, and they would be the best group of people to be able to understand your individuals but also your family's likelihood of being at either high risk or at moderate risk for a change in a gene and to enable genetic testing discussions to be um, commenced and, in fact, then going down that next step of genetic testing. 
Is there any research being undertaken uh, in the area of genetics that uh, people can look out for or learn from? Wow, we never stop researching. Um, so very excitingly, we've moved um, into the, the, the realms of, in fact, uh, medication that is being trialled in a clinical trial for families who have a BRCA1 gene change. Um, and it's a medication, surprisingly, used in the treatment of osteoporosis. Um, that is, we're trying to understand whether that might, in fact, lower breast cancer risks so that women don't just have to consider options of risk-reducing mastectomy. There are other trials looking, as I've already alluded to, as to why families might have very high cancer risks, whereas other families with exactly the same genetic change have very low histories of um, actual cancers. Um, looking at different ways of screening, looking at different ways of managing cancer risks, but also importantly, research in how we might help individuals and families um, manage that information about genetic risk for cancer um, and providing them with access to good emotional supports, um, but clinical support, surgical supports um, when they need it. Well, thank you, Yolan and Sam, for being upfront with us. If you've got a family history of breast cancer and would like more information about your risk, you'll find links to family cancer clinics and tools such as iPrevent on our website, bcna.org.au. The opinions of all our guests are welcome, but not necessarily shared by BCNA. And as always, consult your health professional for any individual concerns. This episode was produced with thanks to Dry July. I'm Kelly Thanks for being upfront with us.